Open Forum Northwest with your co-hosts Hayward Evans and Eddie Rye. We're going to get started right away. We have the esteemed congressman from Virginia, who is chair of the House Education and Labor Committee, former Newport News NAACP president, former state senator from Virginia, now U.S. Congressman Bobby Scott. Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest, sir. Hello. How you doing, Eddie? Hey, hey, what? Hey, sir. Yeah, so, uh, you know, a lot of things have been happening, and I guess uh, uh, we get right to the point. Um, uh, the, the, the Q uh, uh, Congresswoman has been appointed to your committee? Well, she's so far. Congresswoman <laughs> Green? With that, as we speak, uh, there's a debate going on as to whether she's going to keep that seat. Okay, it was kind of in those, uh, the, uh, on your committee, and did they also put on Homeland Security? Uh, <laughs> also put her on budget. And the okay. question is whether she'll lose both of those committee assignments. Okay. So, uh, but I understand now that she's uh, trying to retract some of the statements that have been uh, authenticated and documented? Well, she made a statement on the floor a few minutes ago that uh, seemed to be had to show a little contrition, contrition but um, she's also been raising money, uh, doubling down uh, like uh, she meant what she said. Uh, now, there is some question about... Um, uh, you know, sanctioning somebody for things that happened before they were a member. But um, by, by saying, uh, kind of reinforcing it and raising money on it, uh, it kind of reinstates uh, all of those statements. So um, it, I think it's appropriate to consider them as um, positions taken while she's a member. And, and it's, uh, you, know, you know, I mean, it, at some point, you wonder whether they did that on purpose. Um, a person whose background includes uh, statements that the uh, Sandy Hook, uh, Newtown, Connecticut school shootings where elementary school students were murdered with assault weapon bullets was a hoax. Uh, that Parkland was staged uh, in Parkland, Florida. Parkland, Florida. I mean, at some point, and then they put her on the education committee. But you know, it, it's really, it's really not um, a democratic problem. It, it's, a, it's a problem that the Republicans have. I mean, the fact is, they've done nothing on school shootings. Nothing. Uh, we had to, John Lewis let us sit in on the floor of the House uh, in protest of the fact that they've done nothing about uh, mass shootings, particularly school shootings. Nothing. And so. Um, um, the uh, Republicans really have to own their decision to put her on the committee. Now we're going to uh, 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 we're going to we're going to uh, relieve them of their problem. I believe the votes are there to take her off. Um, but really, it should have been it should be uh, squarely in the lap of the Republican leadership to explain how she got on the committee to begin with. And so um, we, we, will, we will take the responsibility uh, to do the right thing. I think most people in America were uh, uh, justifiably and in, in, felt insulted that a person with that background would end up on the education uh, committee, somebody that obviously, uh, I mean, if you just listen to what the Republicans in the Senate are saying about them, they're, they're, they're not living in reality. How are you going to be on an education committee 
not living in reality. Anyway, we're going to we're going to deal with it and move on. And the um, we got a lot of work to do tomorrow morning. Um, the president's going to meet with um, several members of the House and, uh, committee chairs, and as chair of the Committee on Education and Labor, I'll be there with them, talking about the COVID relief bill and uh, what we're going to do. We've got a lot of work to do to make sure that we have the uh, relief for people to make sure that they're not suffering, they're not going hungry. Uh, the state and local governments get money. Um, unemployment benefits continue. We've got a lot of um, you've got a lot of work to do. Education uh, needs money. I mean, the students have been out of school essentially um, uh, for almost a year. Many of them have gotten uh, just very little education, and so we have a lot of catching up to do. And so we need uh, they need resources. They also need resources to reopen the schools safely. Just can't. Uh, I've heard a lot of debate. Shall we open the schools or not? Of course, we should open the schools as soon as it can be done safely. But it costs, that costs money. Uh, for example, um, uh, uh, we know that uh, the uh, heating, ventilation, air conditioning systems all over the country. I mean, that's a major deficit. And if you don't have proper ventilation, you can't open the schools safely. You got to have uh, spread the children out a little bit. That means smaller class sizes. It means more teachers. You need resources. Can't um, have as many children on the bus on each uh, on each trip. More dr- bus trips. That means more money. You got to. Sp- you have to have money to um, open the schools safely. And obviously, students need to be in school. They do better, much better academically than this distance learning. Uh, the social skills that you learn are. Um, uh, you're not learning any social skills sitting at home looking at a computer. Um, uh, school nutrition, you get a nice nutritious meal every day. And uh, we, we're dealing with child abuse later this uh, um, in the next couple of weeks. Um, uh, the incidence of child abuse is usually detected when they come to school. If they're not coming to school, uh, you've got child abuse uh, problems. Uh, and you're not detecting it because they're not coming to school. And, and, and let's get serious, it's not going to open the economy until the schools are open. So, I mean, everybody knows you got to open the schools, but it's got to be done safely, and you can't do that without resources. And if we can pass a, um, the uh, president's uh, COVID-19 uh, relief package, it'll have uh, the resources in there to open schools safely. Congressman, when do you see uh, that vote on that uh, package taking place? Uh, we're, we're in the process uh, now of... Um, the House yesterday passed its preliminary budget. Uh, the Senate will pass, um, hopefully pass its uh, version um, either today or tomorrow, Friday or the latest, uh, Friday, Friday or Saturday or the latest. I think the leadership has said we're not going home until the action is completed. So either Friday, possibly Saturday, the House will uh, complete action on whatever the Senate does, and that will set up the framework um, within that framework, the um, committees will draft legislation appropriating money within the framework of that budget, and um, um, and that's where the where the real work will will will, will occur. And uh, we expect to be able to finish that. I mean, we're talking a week or two, and we're not uh, we're not playing around now. The, the, the there's a group of Republicans in the Senate that said they want to make this thing bipartisan. 
Now, it's interesting that um, uh, the Democrats aren't negotiating with, quote, the Republicans. They are negotiating with 10 Republicans, and it's exactly 10. You need to make it bipartisan without going through the um, special uh, procedure where you can do it with a major- simple majority. You need all 10. Now, uh, if you're negotiating with McConnell, he could say that at the end of the negotiations, I'll guarantee at least 10 votes. And so you can negotiate and give and take and do something with with just exactly 10. And it's interesting, they couldn't find, they could only find 10. They would be thinking about being bipartisan. And it, it makes all of them king for a day, because you get three-quarters of the way down and get down to the last few. One of them steps back and said, okay, I got an idea. I want the Keystone Pipeline back in there. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, I'm not voting for it. Well, then you wasted all your time trying to be bipartisan. Uh, one of them might say, well, I'll vote for it, but you've got to take the minimum wage out. Then Bernie Sanders will say, well, I'm not voting for it unless the minimum wage is in there. You only have 10. You've got to placate all of them. So I don't know. That's a very difficult um, uh, thing to do. If you're going to be bipartisan, you should have showed up with more than the exact number where each and every one could be king for a day. Um, and... Um, possibly put you in a situation where uh, what they're asking for may cost you Democratic votes, uh, where, you know, you might as well just try to keep this hard enough to keep 50 Democrats in line, much less 50 Democrats, plus exactly 10 named Republicans. So I don't know what's going to go on in the Senate, but we should be able to finish uh, within within a week or two. And people so will be able to tell, get the checks. People will be able to get the education, housing assistance. Unemployment will be ex- be extended. There's a lot of uh, good stuff in your state and local uh, support, which is extremely important. Uh, we ought to be able to do it. Well, now, for my listeners, one more time, you say you would expect if everything goes well, they should be getting a check when? Um, we should pass the legislation in about two weeks. Getting the checks out. Um, it may take uh, several weeks after that. I mean, you got to um, program the computers and get them in the mail and all that. So I don't know exactly when the uh, checks. Uh, we 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 passed the passed legislation in December, and people are still getting their checks now. Okay. So it takes uh, several weeks after we pass the bill signed by the president uh, to actually have the. Um, uh, checks uh, hit people's um, direct deposit. Well, Chairman, I want to go to right now. How many members are there now in the Congressional Black Caucus? Well, it depends on how you count them. <laughs> there, um, I think there, and it keeps changing every day because uh, you know we picked up another one in Georgia, in the Senate. Um, we lost um, two temporarily. Cedric Richmond went to the administration. Marsha Fudge, uh, Secretary of um, of housing, so we lost two, but we expect to get those back. So it's about 50, 59 or so. There are a couple of uh, Republican African Americans who are Republicans that have not joined uh, the Congressional Black Caucus, and so I, I, I think 59, 59 would be the working number. A couple of um, uh, members are um, uh, non-voting. Um, uh, members of the um, 
um, of, of, of the House, Eleanor Holmes Norton in D.C., and um, uh, in Stacey Plaskett. Plaskett, Stacey Plaskett in the Virgin Islands, uh, don't have a vote on the floor. Okay, and uh, right now we know that Congressman Benny Thompson is the chair of the House Homeland Security Committee, and you're chair of the House Education and Labor Committee. Now there are subcommittee chairs too. Can you name some of that? Well, well, yeah, and Maxine Waters is um, chair of financial services, services. Right. and uh, Eddie Bernice Johnson is uh, chair of science. Um, let me see, Maxine. Um, 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 uh, 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 Greg Meeks is chair of um, um, foreign, uh, foreign foreign affairs, and David Scott is chair of agriculture. Is that yeah. is that six? Yep, you got it right. Okay. I tell you what, Mr. Chairman, uh, uh, Attorney James Bible, a former president of the Seattle uh, King County branch of the NAACP, is on the line with you. He's uh, been handling some pretty high profile cases uh, of police misconduct uh, in the, uh, actually Washington State, primarily in the greater Seattle area. So James, Attorney Bible, are you there? I am. How are you? Yes. Okay. Yeah, well, your colleague, your former Newport News, Virginia, NAAC President, Congressman Bobby Scott's on the line with us. I want to make sure that you got a chance from one president to another to say hello to each other. Well, and I, also, I appreciate I appreciate your work because it takes a president. You know, says what he said. It takes one to know one. I know yes, what sir. you go through. The late night phone calls. The people who haven't paid a dime in dues. That the first ones expect you to spend all the treasury on their case. Um, actually, we actually worked for. Um, I did a case for someone and won a discrimination suit. And one, uh, we had, we had two of them. Um, and one discrimination suits uh, for, for for both of them. One of them we haven't seen since. The other one actually bought a life membership with some of his proceeds, and became chair of the um, employment um, uh, committee and helped others with their discrimination cases. Beautiful. So uh, every now and then something works out right. But I, I know you uh, get uh, get a, get get a lot of uh, stress. And I appreciate your, your your service and willingness to stand up. Uh, it makes a difference. And when the when people uh, hear that the NAACP is um, is on the case, it makes a difference to the community. Thank you. I well, appreciate you. He's well. doing he's doing representing folks now as, as an attorney. So uh, he has a very high profile case that happened in Tacoma, Washington. And I'd like to have Attorney Bible just share that with you right quick. Okay. Absolutely. So Manuel Ellis is a story that to many is reminiscent of the olden day lynchings that we would sometimes see, hear, and experience. Uh, the reality is a young man that was dedicated, had dedicated his life to Christ, uh, that was in his church three days a week in the church band, was walking home while holding donuts, when police, for whatever reason, walked up on him or pulled up on him, called him over, first hit him with the car door, threw him to the ground, uh, choked him, tased him, and beat him. And after choking, tasing, and beating him, he still had the respect in his heart to say to them, I can't breathe, sir. And rather than hear his plea for help, they hogtied him, leaving him on his stomach and put a spit mask over his head and watched him breathe his last breath. The reality is that in this particular case, 
they almost got away with it because they used the power of their keyboards and they used our faith in law enforcement to try to write this story away. Uh, but thankfully, dedicated social justice advocates and others were able to locate three independent witnesses and three separate videos that have actually told the truth about what happened to Manuel Ellis on that night. Mm. Mm. You know, you wonder in all of these cases what would have happened without the videos. The one in South Carolina where the guy was running away, the officer had already planted the evidence, had planted the gun, and uh, had already made up a story. And but for the video, he would have gotten away with it. Absolutely. And you just wonder how many people like this, they, they were on the way to getting away with it until the video showed up. I mean, Rodney King would have been uh, charged, would have, would have been uh, convicted of uh, resisting arrest, but for the video. Absolutely. And the thing about Manuel Ellis is that none of the officers had body camera. None of them had in-car dash camera. We were thankful that we were able to get ring video, and there were two individuals that actually came forward within two months or three months of the incident to say, you know what, we actually filmed it, we actually saw it, we were scared, and we didn't know who to turn to in terms of handing this over because we just couldn't believe what law enforcement did. So there is a significant distance between what is seen on the video and the three independent witnesses and what the officers claim, because the officers in their police reports, which we now have, say that he never said he couldn't breathe and um, he was just fine, and we had moved him over to a different position where he was safe, but he was suffering from excited delirium. Mm. Well, um, you know, I've always wondered, sometimes the video comes out uh, real quickly. Uh, sometimes I, I, I've always wondered what would have happened if the video comes out like this about a month later, where right. you see what the report is when they didn't think there was a video. That's right. And uh, and you just see how what the um, the line to now, now uh, those police reports have got to be crimes. They are crimes, as far as I'm concerned. And not only should certain officers be charged with uh, murder, others should be charged with obstruction of justice. There it is. Um, so many sat down, stood there, and idly watched, and not a single officer uh, bloke broke that blue wall of silence and told the truth about that night. And then they doubled down in press statements uh, with officers. And now a sheriff actually standing up and saying that, hey, everything was fine uh, mm -hmm. when they knew it wasn't. Well, um, good luck. How's the case coming? Well, it's been quite a battle. Uh, I will tell you that uh, many were against us at the start, and now many are with us. It looks like there will be significant changes in state law as a result of some of the actions that have been taken in this particular case, including that this is one of the rare cases in which we were able to get the state of Washington itself uh, to investigate this instead of local prosecutors who are busy, in our estimation, hiding information. Um, and there are now bills in our state legislature directly related to independence and in investigation of police officers and independence in prosecution. Uh, and we're trying to promote something called the Manuel Ellis Washington Anti-Discrimination Act uh, that would come from this, too, that would deal with not only excessive force, uh, but also inequity in um, jobs 
educational opportunities, health care, and the like, um, because the family wanted something that would be in the place that uh, would help others with some of the things that have traditionally disenfranchised African-American populations. And you've got, also got to impress upon people of the importance of voting and electing uh, city councils and prosecutors. They'll do the right thing because the police department didn't fall out of the sky. They were hired by the city council and their appointees. And if you have the wrong leadership on city council, you're going to have the wrong people on the uh, police force. And people have to recognize that um, uh, the way to, to change the culture is to have the city council tell the chief of police that his job depends on uh, changing the culture, and if he can't do it, they'll find somebody that can. And um, and city council members, that's where the, that you know you have to figure out within the democratic process where your input is. And on the police department, it's the election of city council. And when you start talking about prosecutors, these guys didn't fall out of the sky. They were elected. And you let the wrong people get elected, you're going to have the wrong decisions. So um, make sure you're doing voter registration at the same time. Congressman Scott, I just want to let you know that your friend, uh, Attorney Jesse Weinberry, has been one of the leaders in this whole effort with this Manuel Ellis Washington Anti-Discrimination Act. And uh, I guess, uh, uh, is there a sponsor for that yet, Attorney Bible? Uh, as of last night, no, though there are uh, individuals in our legislature that are reviewing it now and have a strong interest. Oh, that's great, because we do now have nine members of the uh, black members of uh, uh, caucus now, the most ever. Uh, OK, well, I just want to thank both of you guys. Is there I want to also, James, is there anything else you'd like to share with Congressman Scott? I know he has to go for, in a minute, and I wanted to ask him about uh, 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 the priorities of the CBC and Youth Education Committee, because I still want you to have that conference call with Representative Sharon Tomiko Santos and myself about the Central District Community Preservation Development Authority, which started out being the Seattle OIC when uh, uh, Lyndon Johnson signed off on the Great Society programs. And as you know, it was gutted by President Ronald Reagan in 1980. We're back again. Well, um, uh, you talk about our priorities. We've we're, we're, we got a lot of stuff we're working on. we got a bill coming up tomorrow on uh, apprentice programs. We have, we're funding, uh, if this bill passes, one million apprenticeship opportunities. Uh, we're expanding the occupations that can be subject to the earn while you learn uh, process and these are the registered apprenticeship programs that are high quality and recognized. If you go go through the program in Seattle, you can come to Virginia and uh, people will recognize your credentials. Uh, that's coming up. Um, that's coming up tomorrow. Uh, the minimum wage is um, is alive and well. Uh, we're, we're we're hoping to pass that uh, in the House again, and uh, the Senate's uh, got work to do. Uh, we're trying to make college more affordable, um, uh, deal with the student loans. We're trying to make joining a union uh, easier. And these are the kinds of things that can deal with wealth inequality. Uh, people talk about wealth inequality, but if you can increase the minimum wage, um, get uh, more people um, um, through uh, college or, or work training programs where they can increase their earning capacity, and the ability to join unions so they can negotiate for higher wages, 
Now, that's how you increase, um, um, how you reduce the uh, wage disparity. You got to enforce uh, discrimination. Uh, if you if you're qualified for a job, you ought to be able to get it, uh, not be discriminated against. And there's one area, and uh, we and, and Marsha Fudge is going to be all over this, and that is home ownership opportunities. The most of the wealth in the middle class in America is um, equity in your home, uh, and if you don't own your home, you don't have any equity in rent. Um, and um, so we need to make sure home ownership opportunities are there. And there, there are books being written now that are being published the last few years that are outlining the complicity of the United States in discrimination against African Americans and home ownership opportunities. Uh, the uh, federal government would help uh, finance uh, um, uh, housing developments that had specific provisions where you couldn't sell to um, to African Americans. So, I mean, the, the United States, I think, is clearly part of the problem, and so we have to be part of the solution. Uh, the wealth you have in your home is not only uh, where most of, most of the families find their wealth, but it's generational. If your parents own their homes, uh, uh, the the next generation starts off ahead, and so we have to make sure home ownership. And if we can get those covered, minimum wage, more college opportunities, easier to join a union, uh, reduce discrimination, and uh, enhance uh, home ownership opportunities. And the first four of those, the minimum wage, college unions, and discrimination are all in the Education and Labor Committee. Uh, so, uh, so we have a uh, lot of work to do. In making and and seeing that the uh, wealth disparity in this country is is reduced, obviously you got to deal with COVID nineteen, and the uh, relief package is the uh, and crushing the virus. Uh, you're not going to do anything about the economy or anything else until you've dealt with the um, with the virus. That's the number one priority right now. Yeah. Well, I just want to say that the MLK Gandhi Empowered Initiative will also create some home ownerships because those are very high paying positions. But look, we're out of time, gentlemen. I sure appreciate you, Congressman Bobby Scott and Attorney James Bible. And Attorney Bible, I'll be calling you back to see whatever I can do to help with the Manuel Ellis uh, Washington Anti-Discrimination Act. I know out of uh, the members of the uh, Black Caucus, there gotta be one person to step up for that. So we'll take care of that too. So thank both of you gentlemen very much. Certainly appreciate it. Thank you, Eddie. Thank hey, y'all take it easy. Take care. Okay, take now. Care now. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break and come back with our next guest after this. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. 
Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Conversation you won't find on the rest of the dial. Alternative Talk 1150. All right, Hayward Evans and Eddie Rye back at Urban Forum Northwest. Before we go to my next guest, I have to give a shout out of condolence to my, my brother-in-law's first cousin, Dr. Eugenia Butler, who passed away, the family of Clayton A. Petrie Sr., and uh, one of my best friends growing up, my childhood buddies, Ulysses Lewis, his son, Borean, uh, uh, Ulysses Lewis, and uh, a devota, uh, the mother of Borean uh, Bertrand Lewis. And Bert was the name, uh, Bertrand was the name of Mr. Lewis, Ulysses' dad. So I had to say that. Reverend Paul Benz, the man about Olympia when they're in session. I, you know, you've done a lot of work, and I really want to uh, let everybody know that uh, as a member of the McKinney Coalition from the very early days, uh, the kind of work you put in, uh, showing up lobbying for two years in a row for that project and getting House Bill 1918 that was sponsored by Representative Sharon Tomiko Santos to create the Central District Community Preservation and Development Authority, which is will be known as the McKinney Center for Community and Economic Development. That's because Reverend Dr. Samuel Barry McKinney was responsible for the building being there in the first place to house the Seattle Opportunities Industrialization Center when there was a commitment to uh, the black community all across the country after the Dr. King and the civil rights movement uh, forced uh, some positive changes like the, uh, the Civil Rights Act of 64, the Voting Rights Act of 65, the Fair Housing Act of 68, and these programs to help, help uplift us, which was short-lived like all the other promises we made. But Reverend Paul Benz has been a stellar supporter uh, for righteousness in Olympia. And uh, now there's a building, sir, with a board. There's work that's being done to repair. And I know Chairman Rayburn Lewis is working with many members of the legislature and other folks uh, to see about getting the funding that's needed to have the building open. So I want to let everybody know the role you played in that. And now you're also involved with uh, uh, the African-American Legislative Day. We're going to have Gabriel Prawl on after you. But I just wanted to, first of all, to get uh, your comments on uh, the mild demonstration they had in Washington, D.C. on January 6th. Well, I think, uh, Eddie, uh, two, two things on, on the January 6th um, mob attack on, on um, our temple of democracy. Um, one is that um, as, as the white supremacists were knocking over the um, the uh, bike guards um, rails and and going through the the very weak uh, force um, of uh, by weak I mean the numbers present as they were going through that um, and in into the temple of democracy uh, picking things apart destroying it 
I, I could only think of, of um, who built that temple and who built another very important building in our nation's capital, um, the, the White House. And we know who built it, um, African-American slaves. Um, um, and I think that what was coming, uh, it was Malcolm's phrase in my mind, Eddie and Hayward, uh, chickens coming home to roost. And um, in terms of the, the white supremacists uh, that we have, domestic terrorists, I think that the second thing is that um, if this had been uh, a, a group of African-Americans, um, you would have seen double the force, double the violence, and double the resistance. Um, and that goes to the legacy of uh, law enforcement and the, and the structural and individual racism that we have found um, in law enforcement for centuries in this country towards the African-American community. So those are my two thoughts on, um, on the event of January 6th. And I'm you're consistent as always, uh, Reverend Paul, but it's amazing that, uh, you know, the uh, White House refused to uh, allow uh, the National Guard to come in to back up the overpowered and overmanned uh, uh, Capitol Police. And it's also unfortunate, too, that we had CL police officers back there. And then look at the fact that some of those people who are participating, they'll be made, they're construction workers and they're firefighters and they're police officers. And they're people that make a decision whether or not a black goes from apprenticeship to a journey person and what kind of environment they have in the workplace. And that's what exactly. people really got to understand. This is yep. the kind of environment that's, and, and it affects at least 30 or 40% of the workplaces where black folks are employed. Yeah. Uh, so that's really a problem. And then uh, with the new Secretary of Defense, I would hope that every individual that's a member of the Proud Boys, the Boogaloo Boys, or any white supremacist group be dismissed from the United States military. Uh, we don't need to have that. The same thing with the police. I, I still don't know who the six police officers from Seattle SPD who were there. But that's the kind of mindset and mentality that we have. And that's why I think that's why I'm pretty sure that's why when police encounter some folks, especially black folks, they end up getting killed. Even if they wow. run away from the police like the gentleman in South Carolina was, was shot in the back, then the cop drops a gun by him. But uh, exactly, I, uh, Eddie, and, and, and you and I know that uh, the names of those Seattle Police Department um, officers who went back there are known. Someone knows who those names are. And, and uh, last time I checked, the Seattle Police Department, like any law enforcement agency, any police department, is a publicly funded, publicly supported. Um, and why are those names not forthcoming? We've been joined by, by Gabriel Prawl. I want you to be on the line because you guys are both working on that African American Legislative Day. Uh, Gabriel, are you on? Mr. Ch Mr. President. Yes, Eddie. Okay, uh, Gabriel, uh, Reverend Paul Benz is on. We just finished talking to him. He's on, and uh, I know that he's working with you, so I would like to have you just go ahead and uh, uh, talk about the African-American Legislative Day. Reverend Paul, if you could hang on for a few minutes, we certainly would of appreciate course. it. No, of course. Yep. Okay, Gabriel, go right ahead. Gabriel Paul, president of the Seattle chapter, A. Philip Randolph Institute, that's sponsoring the African-American Legislative Day on February 15th. So, Gabriel, give us a fill in the, the details for us. Okay, um, thank you very much, um, Eddie Wright, for um, giving me the opportunity to uh, connect with your um, radio station and, and 
put the word out there. So, you know, APRI for the past 16 years has been hosting this event and, um, in partnership with the Washington State Christian Leaders Coalition. Our team for this year is time for the system for the people, not against. And um, it's going to be on its 16th. It's been um, advertised on Facebook and um, other social media. And one of the big things about this year is that we're doing it via Zoom. It's different from the in-person event that we do, that we, we have been doing for the past 16 years. And, um, but it has a plus in it because it gives us the opportunity to include people all around the nation uh, to be able to be seeing what the legislators and the um, people in the community of um, Washington State are doing to make change, to push um, legislation that's going to be beneficial for the community, also to um, tackle and address the police brutality and um, the, uh, work on some kind of solution to bring some accountability to the um, law enforcement here in Washington State. So... Um, we got we got a layout agenda to to, to um, working on our layout agenda to do these things and working in partnership with with um, some of the legislators, the new legislator here in, in the state of Washington. Just to know that um, this year we have nine black legislators, and that's um, that's historical because this is the first time. And I want to say, Reverend Paul, do you have any input as well for that day? Well, it's going to be all I'm virtual, just... right? Everything is virtual. Everything is virtual, yes. 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 No, um, Faith Action Network is always uh, proud. We've always been there since the very first one. And um, uh, we all, always appreciate our, our partners that we have. A. Philip Randolph Institute is, has always been one of those, as well as the WCLC, the Washington Christian Leaders Coalition. And uh, we are very um, – Gabe mentioned the uh, African-American legislators, historic number in the state legislature, nine – and we are privileged to have uh, the chair of the Black Members Caucus, Representative Jamila Taylor, uh, who will be moderating the time between noon and one, uh, where we hope to have different members of the Black Members Caucus come and share who they are and, um, and the bills that they're working on. The House and the Senate that day, uh, part of the difficulty is, uh, is that the House and the Senate uh, are both will be deliberating on bills in the morning and after afternoon, but um, uh, uh, Gabriel has has a great relationship uh, with Representative Taylor, and we look forward to her presence and others um, on this day on the on President's Day, Monday the fifteenth of February. Right. So, uh, uh, Gabriel, I just want to ask. So, uh, how long? Uh, what is the duration? Uh, when does it start? When does it end? And I know that you'll probably be able to get members uh, to come in in between uh, their sessions and stuff. So they, uh, they're going to be doing their stuff virtually too, right? They won't be in, will they be in Olympia? I believe more, everybody probably be doing things. But, um, one of the things oh. that the, um, in Olympia, uh, mostly everything is happening virtual. And, okay. um, I know there's going to be um, some, some hearings going on on some of these bills on that same day. Um, so they're going to be going in on that. But, um, I want to bring some really critical things to the attention, which is the monetary part of stuff that we need to do that's requiring our community and our black community that needs um, support financially and getting these things done. Like King County Equity now has, has uh, a requesting um, funding. Also, African Town Acquisition is requesting funding on the Cairo Nursing Home. And, and 
SBI, which is actually in McKinney Center, is also um, looking forward for funding to continue to um, do the work that they need to do in, 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 in that building so our community could be more served. And Eddie, you know from way in the past, you know, even last year, that you, you are very involved in this. And um, we appreciate very much that you are focusing on and trying to create some, build something that a community can get some opportunity to advance. And then we got the Asbury House in Tacoma that also needs funding to, to build on um, infrastructure and what they're working on and, and as far as that um, place in, in Tacoma. But uh, not, to, not to leave short of um, what we need to do with the police reform section. And, uh, and, and accountability. And that's a um, little few bills that some of our um, representatives are working on. Uh, we see the um, prohibit police tactics, establishing independent investigation, use of daily force, civil use of liability and qualified immunity, and the certification of criminal justice training commission. And, um, and I know um, there's something that has not been, it's not there right now. And, um, and that's um, Emmanuel Ellis' um, bill. And Emmanuel I, I Ellis, uh, Washington Anti-Discrimination Act. Exactly. And, and that's something that needs to be, to be in the discussion as well. And, um, and I well, would they like need to, to have um, a sponsor have before the cutoff or they won't go anywhere. Exactly. Yeah. So hopefully uh, you can use your influence. You and Reverend Paul can use your influence to get someone to step up to the plate and sponsor that because that was an egregious death that man faced. And if we're going to talk about police accountability, seems like you'd be starting with the Manuel Ellis White State Anti Discrimination Act. Exactly, exactly. because that's an important bill that we need passed in the state. You know, I, I, you know, I was listening earlier about the fact that um, we're talking about what went down on, on January 6th and the fact that we have over 15 law enforcement here in this state that was out there um, in this terrible attack on our capital, but then how comes the, the um, taxpayers of Washington State doesn't know who they are, why we are, there's no accountability. I mean, this has to change. Yeah, I think I think we're going to find out. But gentlemen, we're out of time, and uh, I look forward to getting an update next week so we can find, put, you know, let everybody know exactly where they can go to participate, get the Eddie, information and education. Go right ahead. Eddie, uh, hot news just off the press because I'm actually on my laptop screen. I have the House Public Safety Committee on, and they just passed um, uh, uh, House Bill 1267, 1267, which would establish an Office of Independent Investigation. So it is now party line vote. It is now on its way to the House Appropriations Committee because it's got a price tag of about $25 million. Wow, okay. that's great. Well, okay, good news. Well, thank both yeah. of you gentlemen. Certainly appreciate all the work you do, and I'll be in touch this week because we've got a, lot of, a very important event coming up on February 15th. Exactly. Thank you very much. Thank you, Eddie. Thank you. Okay. All right, so uh, Eric, we're going to take a quick break and come back with our next guest after this. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. 
Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. An alternative to everything else on your radio dial. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Urban Forum Northwest with your co-host Hayward Evans and Eddie Rye and Eric on the boards. I want to thank uh, Sound Transit, Leslie Jones and staff for their support. Also, me and Rice, uh, Diversity Contracting Officer at the Port of Seattle, uh, Liz Alzir, Mark and Jesse down at the City of Seattle's Personal Construction Services Office, and our buddies out at uh, SeaTac Airport, SeaTac Bar Group LLC with uh, just uh, Jerry Whitsett and Rod O'Neill, and then over at uh, Concourse Concessions with Dave Fukuhara. Hopefully things will pick up the airport real soon, but we got to get this pandemic uh, under control before doing anything. Our next guest is uh, A. Linda Taylor, uh, who is the vice president of the Urban League of Metropolitan Seattle. And uh, they have been doing quite a few things, working remotely and still taking care of people's business. And Linda is uh, the housing guru not only of the Urban League, but the state of Washington. So welcome to Urban Forum Northwest, Linda. And why don't you Thank share with our listeners a little bit about... Does that come with a check, Eddie? <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope I get a check. But anyway, uh, uh, I just wanted you to just, you know, uh, talk. We, everybody know that, you know, with this COVID things, people are working remotely. But the Urban League is still providing services. So I'd like exactly. to have you share with our listeners what you guys are doing and how you're serving the people. Very, very quickly, we're still doing housing, health, education, and employment. Of course, everyone knows we're the second oldest civil rights agency in the state of Washington. Uh, We're 90 years old, and we do some civic engagement now also, which I'm very, very proud of, getting the word out about just different bills, house bills, and just different things that are out there. We have a whole department for that now, which is wonderful. But during doing during COVID. Uh, Of course, our Urban League Village is still running, our home ownership program, financial empowerment, and homeless outreach. We have 30 people in a hotel that are rotating in and out of that hotel. Once people get off the street, get in a hotel, get a hot meal, get a good shower, get some clean clothes, they're ready to look for work. But when you're telling people that live on the street that haven't had a shower, haven't eaten, haven't done any of those things 
to uh, go get a job. It's very difficult when they don't know what they're going to do with their children. So we piloted this program, and it's working. When one of these young ladies came down to eat, I guess, no one recognized her because she had had some sleep, put some makeup on, got herself together. She looked like another person. So we really believe this is going to be one of our our, uh, new programs going forward. We just piloted it, basically. But, of course, we have our youth shelter that we partnered with New Hope Church, which we offer day and night services for youth 18 to 24 to keep them off the street. Then we have dollars, what's called Streets to Home, and it's Streets to Home 2.0. It uh, marries you with a job and helps you find somewhere to live. We have another partnership for with that. And we have a – which I, I, I just – the program works. This program I'm going to talk about, it works, but it's not my favorite. Uh, we have parking lots at various churches where people actually sleep in their cars. We try to keep them in and out of there as fast as, as we can get them out of there, and I don't believe anyone has had to stay over three weeks. But the program works because it gets you in our queue, it gets you uh, some services, and it does get you up up and out, out of there. And then we have our home base program, which is one of the most important programs that we have, in my opinion. You know, I love housing. And if you get a summons and complaint or anything from your uh, landlord, go to court. Sign the documents. Because if you can continue to pay or if there's a short-term circumstance, they'll pay it. And they've given us and another company a contract to help pay those, to pay those fees and fines or and that back rent. So it really works. It works. We've partnered with uh, United Way and Northwest Justice on that. Linda, with all that good information, could you please give our listening audience uh, the contact information so they can uh, be considered? Of course. And, and I've just touched on it. We have, uh, that's 206-461-3792. Just push zero, and the operator has most of this information. And you can find it on our website. And for those people that are not homeless and just need to do some things, we actually have a book club. They put together a book club through all of this, uh, all of this <laughs> that that's going on, and the book I guess coming up in February is "Their Eyes Were Watching God." Zora Neale Hurston is what they'll be discussing in February, but they they've just done some marvelous things that are going on. Our workforce programs are continuing, construction and trade. All of this stuff is going virtual. Everything, everything can be found online. But they're actually out there helping build those tiny homes and learning a, a trade. So it, it's just Willis. wonderful. Now, are you guys also have an office in Federal Way or a center no, out there? We haven't shut that down, but we do provide okay. services in Federal Way. I think it was location, location, location for that. But uh, we're still looking that way to open up something else. So if anyone knows of anything that's extremely reasonable and visible, uh, we'd we'd be happy to uh, look into that. And we're talking about going up north also. You know, we're we're everywhere. Well, that's great because the services are certainly needed. There's no question about that. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and I also want to take the opportunity to give out a a shout-out of condolence to 
the uh, president and CEO of the Urban League of Metropolitan Seattle, uh, Michelle Merriweather. Her father passed, and I want to extend my deepest condolences to her and her family at this time thank of loss. You, thank you so much, and I'm sure she appreciates this. Her father passed, and we had another staff member that's father passed and they at the same time. So we're just uh, grief-stricken uh, for our colleagues yes. that so, have lost uh, loved ones. Melinda, I want you to give that information out, the contact information out one more time for people who might be in need sure, and doing the sure. that might be in need because services are hard to find, especially dealing virtually now. So please do that. Okay. Our phone number is 206-461-3792. Push zero and you'll get the operator. And you can always go to our website. It's... Uh, a very simple address, and that's urbanleague.org. All right. Well, Linda Taylor, thank you very much for your time today and all the work you guys are doing. You have to have the, the Urban League on more frequently because you're doing so many good things, and people need to know where to go get help. So thank oh, you very yes, much. Most definitely. They, we, they're just, we welcome them. We, we definitely welcome them. And we certainly appreciate the efforts you guys uh, and the services you provide. So thank you very much. No, no, thank you. We appreciate you for helping us get the word out, Eddie. Thank okay, you. Okay, no, thank you very much. Uh -huh. Okay. All right. Uh, so, uh, Hayward, I guess if people drive by Martin Luther King Memorial Civil Rights Park, the lights are back up or be lit up for the whole month of uh, Black History Month of February. Is that right? Oh, that's right. You know, real proud of Black History Month. We want people to focus and, and be appreciative of what they have and what we're going to do in the future. And that those lights are there to remind us we have a bright future ahead of us. Uh, and you guys, you did an outstanding job putting that production together on Monday with Converge Media. I guess that's going to be posted up on Converge Media as well as the MLKCC.org website along with the NAACP and others. So, okay, uh, co-host Hayward Evans, we don't have much talking to do today, but as always, we have guests to keep our listeners informed and educated to what's going on not only in Seattle, but also in Washington, D.C. and across the country. So until next Thursday, this will be uh, Eddie Ryan. Hey, whatever, we'll be back at you then. You can also hear this program Saturday morning, 7 to 8 on KKNW 1150 AM. And all programs are archived on urbanforumnw.com. Thank you, Stephanie Ogle. Talk to you later. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>